Good morning, UUCC. My name is Jim Johnston, and I'm a member of your board of trustees. Um, my pronouns are he, him, and his, and it is my honor and pleasure to welcome you to worship this morning at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people, for it is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as by our very talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Thank you all. And much appreciation goes out to many of you, our lay leaders and volunteers. Your dedication and efforts uh, help keep us connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your faith tradition and whoever you love, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are joining us this morning. And we encourage you to fill out the visitors form either online or in the lobby and to join us in the coffee hour after services so we have a chance to meet and welcome you. Finally, for those who are attending here in the sanctuary this morning, please take a moment now to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. We have seven announcements this morning and three announcers, so I'll get right into it. First off, you notice I'm not wearing a mask, and many of you are not, and as of March 1st, masks are encouraged and appreciated, but no longer required during the Sunday morning services. In recent months, we have resumed our Sunday morning coffee hours in Sanctuary B, serving food and drink and meeting and connecting unmasked. In addition to that, since March of last year, small groups have been encouraged to seek consent from everybody present and determine whether or not to mask. And in, uh, in light of all these practices, as well as Howard County's recent low um, COVID-19 transmission rates, uh, we are the We Gathering Task Force has elected to lift UUCC's mask mandate for worship services starting this March. Small groups are encouraged to continue to check in with everybody and make a, a determination whether or not to mask for those small groups. Newcomers, welcome, and you are also welcome and invited to join staff member Sarah Davidson this morning in room 116 downstairs at 1130 after services, where we'll be making our own spiritual timelines. UUCC has a uh, long history of participating with Bridges for Housing Stability in, in Howard County, and they're holding their Chili Fest and Cornhole Tournament on Sunday, March 19th, from one to four. By supporting this event, they help Bridges prevent and end homelessness in Howard County through affordable housing and supportive services. So please stop by the Bridges table during the coffee hour. This morning's coffee hour, you will not see the script table. It will be here next week, but we will not be selling the script this morning. And last night officially kicked off this year's pledge drive with a fantastic potluck and talent show. I want to thank all the many musicians and everybody put that together. Yeah, it was awesome. And as our treasurer, um, Kevin Mercer mentioned, next step is pledge parties and they start tomorrow. And so please check it out online um, and you can sign up for a pledge party. It doesn't matter if you've already pledged, if you still want to pledge, it's a chance to meet, connect with other members, learn more about what we're doing and how we can all connect in, in so many ways here. So learn more about that. I see uh, Joe Christensen and Pamela Henry are here. They have the first one tomorrow night. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to food and security team member, Cindy Williams, for announcement on that. So Cindy. Good morning. Have to have glasses to see anything, except for you. I can't see you now. Um, as most of you know, we have a free pantry food pantry outside of our building. It's filled daily and sometimes more by, dedicated, by a dedicated group of volunteers. 
Many people in our congregation contribute to the pantry, and we thank you. You've contributed food, you've contributed money, you've contributed time. Our ask this morning is that you start to, again to provide non-perishable food. Additional food will help us continue to stock the pantry and avoid having us to have to buy as much. We will continue to use the financial contributions that you've been sending to buy what we need and don't have. But please, if you could start bringing items like tuna, canned meat, soups, granola bars, crackers, diapers, toilet paper, cereal, um, you can always put it directly into the pantry. You could come over with your children and, and fill it or put some food in it. You could put it in the room that's across from where we have coffee. The cabinets are labeled where you can put it in the wagons that will be outside the sanctuary on Sunday mornings. You could set up a delivery order, add it to your grocery list or whatever works for you, but we need food again. I hope you see this work as valuable as our team does. Many people depend upon the pantry for their food. We meet them, talk to them, and have the privilege of feeding them too. And Lisa Marina, I think, has an announcement. Good morning. What do spoons, trains, and UUs have in common? Well, they are all a part of the reimagined Quest trip to Boston. <laughs> Instead of only ninth graders and their adult leaders, we're inviting all high school teens and, for the first time, adults to participate in the trip as travelers. Think of this as a multi-generational pilgrimage in which we play together on our spiritual and literal journey to Boston, where we'll explore the meaning that our seven principles hold for each of us. The trip is April 6th through 9th, and registration is open now through March 13th. Information is on the website. Type Boston into the search bar and then click on the first result, or look me up in Realm and send me an email or a text. Thank you. Getty. I use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is my honor and joy to serve as minister of this congregation and to be here with you this morning, whether you're here in the room or with us remotely from another place. If you'd like to follow along in the order of service, you can open that on your own device using the QR code you'll see on the screen or the URL that's in the chat. For those of you who are here in the sanctuary, if you need assistance with hearing, there are hearing devices in the tech booth in the back and the tech team would love to see you back there. And as always later in the service today, we will be honoring personal joys and sorrows from within the community. So if you have something that you would like to have spoken this morning, please send it to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net or put it in the book that's at the back of the sanctuary. You have already heard from Jim and Cindy and Lisa and the choir this morning. Thank you to them. 
And today you're going to hear even more wise and passionate voices from within this community. So thank you to Kristen for stepping up at the last minute today. Thank you to Dana and Colette for sharing your passion and expertise. Thank you to Tom Monroe. You're going to hear one of his musical compositions later. And thank you to the tech team and the hospitality team and everyone who is fostering community and inspiration and growth among us this morning. And a couple of special words. First, welcome back, Robin. Robin Slaw is back with us today after four months of sabbatical. We hope that your sabbatical was a time of restoration and inspiration and renewal for you. We are all eager to see what new things may arise within you and among us. Welcome back. And a big thank you to Kelly Daniker, who stepped up and stepped in to keep our children's and youth programming engaged and engaging in Robin's absence. I was thinking about it and remembering the charming pageant in December, the values, missions, and ends programming that you did just for the kids, reimagining how best to serve middle schoolers and ninth graders, and your thoughtful contributions in worship and a weekly spirit play experience for our younger kids. Thank you, Kelly. So about this morning's worship service. Back in December, as we were preparing to collect funds for Grassroots Crisis Intervention Center, especially to cover the costs of one week of their cold weather shelter, Dana Soar and I got to talking about how we really need to give more deliberate attention to the systemic and systematic issues that exacerbate the housing problems in our community, that make it nearly impossible for those who are under-resourced to find secure and sustainable housing in Howard County, that make it really difficult for those among us who are young adults, who are retired workers, who have disabilities, who work in service industries. For any of those of our neighbors, of those among us to live in Howard County. And we need to address the arguably more uncomfortable reality that many of us in this congregation, especially those like I am who are property owners especially, we benefit disproportionately from the very systems that exclude and marginalize our already vulnerable neighbors. And here we are worshiping as a Unitarian Universalist community that declares loudly that we value justice and love and equity and generosity and interdependence with one another and with all life. So today we are challenging ourselves to think about how we actually live those values in ways that actually matter in the world. So again, thank you to Dana and Colette for the informative and challenging presentations you've prepared for us today. And thank you for extending the invitation for all of us to act on our values in the world. So with that, let's center ourselves by taking a breath together. and let us worship.
Good morning, everyone. My name is Colette Gelwix. I use she, her pronouns. Maggie, would you come up and help light the chalice, please? Thank you. Our chalice lighting words this morning are from our hymnal, actually, titled The Task of the Religious Community by Mark Morrison Reed. The central task of the religious community is to unveil the bonds that bind each to all. There is a connectedness, a relationship discovered amid the particulars of our own lives and the lives of others. Once felt, it inspires us to act for justice. It is the church that assures us that we are not struggling for justice on our own, but as members of a larger community. The religious community is essential for alone our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen and our strength is too limited to do all that must be done. Together, our vision widens and our strength is renewed. And at this time, we're going to recite our congregational covenant. So I invite you to stand as we speak the reminder of the promises that we make to each other as a religious community. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and prayer to the continuing celebration remain standing and you are welcome to greet each other and hello to everyone. We'll be here tomorrow. I did not think she would be into that. Yep. It has a mouth. Hey everybody. Hello. 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 Hello everyone.
everybody. I'm so glad to be back with all of you. My name is Robin Slaw. I am the Director of Religious Education, and I've been away, as Paige said, for the last four months on sabbatical. So I know you're all anxious to hear about it. I'm going to write it in between Sundays this week to tell you what I was doing, but the short version is I took some classes, and I visited a few people, and I slept like 10 to 12 hours a night. It was pretty amazing. I haven't done that in 31 years. So I would like to invite children up because I need some help this morning. We're going to talk about the three little pigs. Who remembers the story of the three little pigs? Oh, come on. Really? Who remembers the story of the three little pigs? Okay. What happened to the three little pigs in the story? The big bad wolf. Yeah. Do you have a hint yet? All right, so I need some people to volunteer to be pigs. And I need some people to, I really need more kids. So if there's any more kids in the house, I could use you because I need some people to join this story. It's not just going to be the three little piggies. We, people are joining. Yeah, uh, big kids, any big kids, all kids, young at heart, adults, come on down. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so. There was a big bad wolf with the piggies, and there and there was um, there was a housing problem, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, those poor little piggies. I mean, cute, innocent little piggies. We'll pretend, because I know they're not really like that in real life. But cute little innocent piggies trying to live, and this horrible wolf comes along. And they aren't able to live in their houses the way they want to. So I thought it would be fun to compare what's going on in Howard County with the story of the three little pigs. So here's how the story goes. Oh, I need pigs. Who wants to be a pig? Who wants to be a pig? All right, take a pig, put your ears on, put your ears on. Anybody else? There's somebody in the back, if you don't mind passing it back. All right, I need my pigs up here. And in another minute, I'm gonna need my people up here. Okay, if he doesn't wanna be the pig, then pass it forward again, because pass it forward again. Oh, yay, thank you. All right. So once upon a time, there were three little pigs and a whole bunch of people. And they all wanted to live in Howard County because Howard County is a pretty cool place to live, right? I liked moving here. And it's a beautiful place. It's got sidewalks to walk on and lots of greenery. And it's filled with diverse people. And it has community centers and ways to make friends. They found jobs here. And they wanted to be able to live here, the three little piggies and all the people. So they were eager to start their new lives and they set out to build houses and find houses, both the people and the piggies. So the first little piggy, who wants to be the first piggy? Okay, thank you, Jen. <laughs> the first little piggy, can you help with the straw? 
Kelly, thank you. The first little piggy built a straw house. So there's more straw there. We're gonna finish up the straw house. You know his story, right? He built a house of straw, but the big bad wolf came along and said, little piggies, little piggy, let me come in. And the little pig said, not by the hair. My chinny chin chin. Yeah, you all help me, thank you. And then the wolf said, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down, except I can't blow because I have a mask on. So, boom. And I need my sign now, Miss Kelly, please. <laughs> okay, yeah. That wolf was the wolf of scarcity in Howard County. There were people who were looking for homes they found their dreams were blown away, just like the straw house. They wanted to rent, but they couldn't find a place to rent because it was either too much money or there just wasn't a place available to rent. And so 20,000 people whose dreams are being blown away, just like that straw house, just like pig number one, they were all blown away by the wolf of scarcity Who's pig number two? I need a pig number two. Will you be pig number two? Come on over, come on over. Pig number two builds a house of sticks. Do you wanna, do you wanna see if you can take a stick out of the bag and add it? Yeah, there you go. See if you can add it in there. So remember what happened to the pig who blew this house of sticks? Can you lean it? Maybe just lean it. Maybe you can lean it on there. Yeah, perfect. Look at that. Yeah, thank you. Well, so the same thing happened. The wolf came and knocked it down. And the same thing happened to all the people who were trying to build a stick house. They thought, oh, maybe I can build a house. But in Howard County, we have something that makes it challenging to build. Before people can build, they need things in place that are called adequate public facilities. That's a long name. We call it APFO for short. So APFO means there are roads and there are water pipes and sewer pipes and schools, all the things we need to be able to live. And before we can build a house, we need to have all those things. But the big bad wolf of APFO was kind of like a boss guy who said, I don't want to pay attention to that and didn't do the planning ahead of time that needed to happen. And so the big bad wolf of APFO, what did he do? Little pig, little pig, let me come in. Not by the hair on my then I'm gonna knock your house down. So now we had two little pigs that had nowhere to live and a whole bunch of people. Do you remember what happened with the third pig? Will you be my third pig? Okay, come here, come here. Will you hold up, will you stand up and hold this so everybody can see it? You can stand on the step. There you go and hold it up. So the third little pig built a brick house, right? Yeah, it was a big, strong, sturdy house. And some of the people that were looking for places, they found big, strong, sturdy houses, 
but they kind of had to go outside the county because there wasn't enough room here. Other people found multi-person housing. And that means a bunch of houses all stacked on top of each other into apartments or into condos or that type of thing. So multi-family houses are also big and strong and hold people safely, just like that third little pig. So the big bad wolf of scarcity and APFO was finally defeated because the pigs and the people all joined together and they took action to make sure that there were enough strong, stable homes for people and for little pigs. So that's what happens when we can all join together and be strong together and work together, we can defeat things like the wolf of scarcity and APFO, and we can make some positive changes that help all of us, whether they're pigs or people. All right, would you help us sing the children downstairs, please? Budget Drive officially kicked off last night with a super fun talent show and a delicious potluck meal. There were a bunch of us, I don't know, 75, 100 of us in this room together, people of all ages, gathered to hear a bunch of dad jokes and stories of past shenanigans and some really great music by our talented in-house musicians. So thank you to everyone who contributed to that fun event. Throughout the month of March, you're going to be invited to make your own financial pledge to the upcoming fiscal year's budget. And as part of that effort each Sunday, you're going to hear from a congregant who offers a personal story about why they invest in UUCC. And this morning, we are starting with Kristen Steffen. Kristen, thank you. Good morning. My name is Kristen Steffen and I use she, her pronouns. Several years ago, August 13th, 2017 to be exact, our family, myself, my husband Mark, and our three children, Ellie, Melena, and Adam, attended UUCC's monthly Black Lives Matter vigil at Columbia Mall. We hadn't planned to attend. We had arrived home around four that morning after driving 18 hours home from a family vacation in Northern Wisconsin. But we'd listened to radio coverage on the way home of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we decided that sleep deprived or not, we needed to attend that vigil. As a precaution, given the events of the weekend, the, the Howard County Police also sent a few officers to that Sunday's vigil, and one of the officers turned out to be our son Adam's travel baseball coach. And when he saw us, he asked, what are you doing here? I responded almost reflexively. I think the words were out of my mouth before I even knew what I was going to say. These are our people. In the years since that day, I'm embarrassed to admit that UCC hasn't been a much, as much a part of our regular weekly routine as it had been when our kids were younger. 
Our weekends have been filled with travel sports and college visits and family commitments. The list goes on and on. And yet, even as we've struggled to make to be physically present at UCC each week, we've remained committed to sustaining our annual pledge amount. Our financial commitment to UCC hasn't wavered because you are our people. I don't know many of your names, and yet you are my people. You've helped us teach our children the core values that we hold most sacred. You've modeled for each of us what it means to truly live our values. You've challenged us to think and grow and learn. You've pushed us to have hard conversations. And you've given us a safe space to share our sorrows when the world hasn't shown our children the same grace, kindness, and compassion that we have always known here. As we kick off this year's annual pledge drive, I encourage you to consider what UUCC means to you and to share whatever resources you can. Each of our contributions, large or small, of time, energy, and yes, money, are crucial to sustaining this congregation. And I don't know about you, but I need this congregation because you are my people. Thank you, Kristen. And now is the time in our service where I invite all of you to be generous with your contributions and the sharing of your abundance. We are going to listen to some music. And while we do that, you're going to see some instructions on the screen for how uh, you can donate. To contribute on your phone, you can text CHALICE to 73256. There is also a basket in the back of the sanctuary for those that have cash or checks. Thank you for sharing your financial wealth today. Your offering will now be freely given and gratefully received.
So I mentioned earlier that you were going to hear from Dana and Colette, and we are first going to hear from Dana Soar. He is a longtime member of UUCC who happens also to be employed by Bridges to Housing Stability. Dana knows what he's talking about. Thank you, Dana, for being with us remotely today, and thank you for this presentation. Thanks very much, Paige, and good morning, everybody. Uh, good to be here virtually, uh, at least. Um, as Paige mentioned, I am a, um, uh, an employee of Bridges to Housing Stability, and for that reason, I'm intensely interested How about if we start with Colette? All right. It did make sense for Colette to follow Dana, but for the sake of all of our sanity and time, it, we're gonna let Colette go ahead and go first. And I'm gonna let Colette tell you about her credit, credibility. Anyway, I need to sit down. <laughs> Thanks, Paige. That was a great introduction. <laughs> employee of a council member in Howard County here. Uh, I've been working for the Howard County Council now for about five and a half years. So the piece that I'm going to talk about is really, this is supposed to be the call to action for you all after you have heard all of the amazing words that Dana was going to share and hopefully we'll still get to share. Um, so we will be hearing a lot about the housing crisis and the question is really, what can we do? Uh, it definitely feels like a very big topic for any one of us to tackle individually. There is, however, one local opportunity that is coming up this year to impact change. Since 2019, Howard County government has been developing an updated general plan. It's titled HOCO by Design. This is a visionary document that guides the future development, revitalization, and preservation in the county and spells out where and when growth happens. In fact, every county in Maryland is required to create one of these about every 10 years. These documents lay out the priorities and goals for a county and set the direction for what that place will grow to look and feel like in the next 10 to 20 years. In many ways, the process for developing a general plan is very much like the process that we as a congregation are currently undergoing to craft updated values, missions, and end statements for UUCC. There's lots of opportunity for input from everyone, and it is very strongly encouraged. And just like our values, missions, and end statements, the general plan can sometimes feel abstract and fuzzy, and well, not very concrete. It's all big ideas and goals about how we want to show up in the world and what's most important to us and who even is we and us. These are important things to consider, though, because it's only once all of that is set in place that the work can begin to talk about how we're going to make those things happen. Howard County's plan has been in the works now for about three years, and it is so close to prime time. There are full chapters in it that talk about transportation and green space and the environment, the economy, and of course, housing and growth. And so far, there are a lot of really great ideas in this plan, elements that feel like a part of the future that 
I think many of us would support, like making our transportation system equitable and closing mobility gaps, or expanding native tree canopy and forest cover in the county, or increasing opportunities for missing metal housing. However, for many who see and feel the impacts of the low housing stock, high demand, and high costs, the currently proposed general plan simply does not go far enough. Towards the back in the managing growth chapter, the plan offers a few numbers in table 9-1, the Howard County Adequate Public Facilities Ordinance Allocations Chart. These numbers tell the county and people looking to build homes how many housing units can be built each year. Not only are the numbers proposed currently less than what is currently allowed, but they are also in stark contrast to the needs outlined at the beginning of the general plan in chapter two. 50,000 new homes are going to be needed over the next 20 years to accommodate everyone, job growth, pent up demand. And the current proposal allows only 19,250 units to be built. Let me say that again, 50,000 new units are going to be needed and we're planning to allow less than 40% of that to be built according to this plan. And please bear in mind that that's the cap. Various existing local regulations will make it difficult to even reach this number. And we certainly haven't in the past few years. The adequate public facilities ordinance Robin was mentioning earlier is one of those. The goal of which is to provide a predictable planning environment by requiring developments to pass tests for roads and schools before moving forward in the process. This county also has one of the strongest forest conservation laws in the state. And while all of these are very important, they and other laws together ultimately mean that it is more difficult and more costly to build here. And all that means that every existing home is more expensive, which is great for existing homeowners, but terrible for people who are renting or looking to move here or trying to get by on a fixed income. And we will ultimately end up with a community that is less diverse in all the ways that we know diversity is good for a community. Unfortunately, a lot of the people that planning and zoning has heard from are very vocal individuals, often people who already own their own home and have been here for a while, and they don't want things to change. There are elected officials that will need to sign off on this plan who agree with them. They like Howard County just the way it is right now, and they don't want to see additional homes built. Even if things like accessory dwelling units and cottage court communities could mean that someone's older parent or young adult could have a place of their own with dignity and without debt. And when it comes to public feedback, well, government hears a lot from those that are opposed <laughs> and those in favor, not so much. But planning and zoning takes all that feedback into account. HOCO by design is indeed the intentional design of the future of this county. So whose feedback is being included in that process? And are we aligned with that vision for our community? And what can we do if the potential future that is currently outlined is not the one that we want to be a part of? If this is the first time you're hearing about this, you are not too late to join the party. <laughs> There are ways big and small that you can be involved. First, read the plan, or even just a chapter or two, because it's like 400 pages long. 
So, so pick something that's really important to you and then tell others about it so that people know what it is. If you're curious about whether, what others have said, there's even a document that's over a thousand pages long on hokobydesign.com where all of the comments that have come in are listed. Second, there are many organizations in the county that are paying attention right now. PATH and the Housing Affordability Coalition are just two, and they are interested in making sure that our community includes housing options for everyone. Get involved with those organizations. Third, the draft of the general plan right now is being reviewed by the Howard County Planning Board. In fact, there's a public hearing this week. Come to the public hearing on Thursday, March 9th, or email them and let them know what you think. And then fourth, beginning March 22nd and going through to the end of September, the Howard County Council will be reviewing and discussing the plan. There are going to be nine work sessions that anyone can watch remotely or in person and three public hearings where residents can share feedback about the plan before the council ultimately votes to adopt it on October 2nd. Consider testifying in person or virtually in June, July, or September to share your support of expanded housing options and an increase in the number of units allowed. And if speaking in person or virtually sounds super scary, send an email. Every voice really does count. Each of us is an important stakeholder in helping to shape the landscape of our community, whether it is in this congregation or outside of its doors. And our community will change in one way or another, whether we choose not to change things and by doing so likely exclude people, or if we prioritize and adopt policies that are inclusive and equitable and welcome people of all backgrounds, origins, ages, and life stages to find a home here. And so if we want to live our values and be a part of a community that aligns with our ideals, it is up to us to create that change by getting involved and doing so in the smallest ways will really move the needle. So let's work to make sure that this place that we call home is a place that others can call home to.
us. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, choir. That was beautiful. And thank you all, including Colette, for putting up with me and, <laughs> and for your flexibility. And Dana, we're now going to be very glad to hear your voice and see your face, but probably not your slides. Thank right. you, tech team. Yeah, thank you, tech team. And I apologize, everybody, despite 45 minutes of testing yesterday with the tech team and testing again this morning, when everything, of course, worked perfectly, uh, we had this failure today. So I, I'm, uh, I apologize. I'm going to talk through some of the data. You've gotten the call to action. I'm going to tell you why it's really, really important. And uh, I will commit to actually recording uh, what I was going to do um, this morning with you with the slides and the visuals and the data and um, make that available to the community. Um, the impetus, as Paige said, uh, for this service was the cold weather shelter uh, that Grassroots uh, is now hosting in an extended stay motel. We used to host it at um, Obic and uh, we called it the warm welcome shelter. We still provide uh, meals for one week of the shelter. And I wanna thank everybody for contributing to that effort and uh, for uh, the volunteers who showed up and uh, distributed the meals in the week that we provided that service last month. Um, I asked the uh, coordinator of the shelter uh, yesterday for the latest data on the number of clients served so far this year, 37 children um, out of a total of about 80 clients so far. And, and when you hear that number, 37, 37 children having to spend their winter in a cheap motel because they don't have a home, you wonder how does that happen in such an affluent community? And, you know, there's still the myth knocking around in people's heads that homelessness is almost entirely caused by either personal failures or some kind of chronic issue like um, a drug addiction or mental illness or something like that. And, you know, there, there's a lot of research about this. And the um, it is true that in about a third of the cases, homelessness is caused by a chronic condition, a chronic disability like that. But um, the data actually... Uh, shows that the housing market explains more of homelessness than anything else. It's the sheer cost of housing for people who lose the capacity uh, to afford it. This explains the phenomenon of why in areas where the poverty rate is so low, San Francisco, LA, uh, other large urban areas, homelessness is really high. And the reverse is true too, it's counterintuitive, but where poverty rates are really high, the South, the Midwest, homelessness is actually very, very low, even though there are a lot more poor people. And the reason for that is because housing's cheaper in those places and people aren't so easily pushed into homelessness. Uh, despite all of their challenges, they're still able generally to keep a roof over their head because it doesn't cost as much uh, to do that. So let's cue up a video from Carmen Jones, and she'll give us a little bit more context on this phenomenon. My family was homeless for almost four years. My very first leasing job was in Ellicott City. And, you know, part of my job is to take people out and, and show them the apartments and try to get them to move. So that's what I was doing one snowy day when after showing an apartment, locking the door, went to take them back to the office and I fell and I slipped down some stairs and wound up in surgery the very, very next day. Because of that injury, um, I had to give up my job and then wound up losing my apartment after that. With the eviction 
you know, then on my record, you, it's impossible to rent another apartment after that. So thank the Lord, I was able to find homes for my children so that they could continue to go to the same school. And I stayed in my car. I, I think the word homeless and hopeless should be hand in hand because there was a lot of days, even though the Lord woke me up every morning and brought the sun to the earth every morning, I still couldn't see it. You know, uh, on average, I found hotels that were charging five, $600 a week just to, to live. And I was working two jobs and my son was working two jobs. And that was kind of the paradox of being homeless. Once you are off the streets and into a hotel, you can't afford to save up for um, a security deposit or even think about paying rent while you're trying to keep some sort of roof over your head. And it was almost like I was just digging out of a hole that just kept filling up with dirt. You know, there was not enough work. There was not enough time in the day. I couldn't work enough hours. I, I couldn't afford to, um, to get out of there. When it comes to the low income housing, the waiting lists are years long. They're years long. You, how is somebody supposed to know that they're going to be homeless eight years prior to knowing that? It doesn't make any sense. So Carmen gives us a few important lessons about homelessness. So first of all, if you're uh, earning a low income, you're much less likely to have the savings and other resources you need to cope with a big emergency. Second, once you're homeless, it's a really sticky place to be because landlords and credit agencies don't forgive they don't forget. And it's tough to get your income back to the point where you can get yourself back into housing because the housing is so expensive. And last, the comment about affordable housing in Howard County, we're desperately short of it. So why is that? And back to the research about the housing market causing the majority of homelessness. If you look at the data in Howard County, particularly in the rental community, uh, in a, tip, uh, a healthy rental uh, vacancy rate in a community is about 5%. That gives uh, renters choices. Um, it doesn't give the landlords undue leverage. In Howard County, it's 1.5%. So that explains why landlords can just say no to people like Carmen. They've got other candidates with better financial histories lined up. And they can also raise rents. They've got the leverage to do it, and they have done it. A three-bedroom apartment now in Howard County is over $2,200 a month. And if you translate that into what should be an, uh, an income that makes that rent affordable, it's over $90,000 a year. Two-bedroom would take about $72,000 a year. One-bedroom, $60,000 a year. And if you know, you're in a, a job that, that doesn't pay that. And particularly if you are, uh, you have a job that is the only source of income in your household, you're really going to have a hard time remaining housed in, in Howard County. One in four households in Howard County earns under $75,000 a year. I think that's probably a surprise to a lot of people. The average school teacher salary is $70,000 a year. So a single parent school teacher in Howard County have a hard time staying housed and the school system is struggling with that uh, right now. And the reason high rents are such a concern is because housing is the biggest expense in most, in most family budgets. 
And in Howard County today, we have over 12,000 households that are paying above 30% of their income on rent. About half of those, about 6,800 households are paying more than 50 cents of every gross dollar that they earn on rent. That's gross. That's before taxes. That's before all of the other big expenses. 50 cents of every dollar goes right out the door to the landlord, 50 cents or more. And when it's that expensive, housing just squeezes the rest of the balloon down. These are families that will experience housing insecurity. They'll probably forego maintenance on their car. I, I said housing insecurity, I meant food insecurity, a reference to what we're doing with the, the food pantry, um, highly needed in our neighborhood there in uh, Owen Brown. Um, so food insecurity, uh, forgoing maintenance on the car, which could lead to an emergency down the road, inability to save for an emergency, let alone a house, you know, good, good luck with that, forgoing medical care, not paying for the prescriptions, not getting the prescriptions that a doctor recommends. These are the kinds of things that you see in households where housing costs too much. And when you talk about housing, you have to look at it with an equity lens. And we don't have the data in Howard County, unfortunately, but USA-wide, it's the people of color, it's the households of color who are impacted the most by overdue or undue rent burdens. Um, but it's interesting that every demographic group actually has a significant portion of, of, of people paying um, unaffordable rents. And if you look at the incidence of homelessness in our county with, a, with an equity lens, look at the, the school system that reports in a typical year, about 500 children every year experience homelessness in Howard County. It's the, the children of color primarily who are experiencing that, uh, th that state. And it's because they're paying, their families are paying too much rent uh, compared to their income and a, a sneeze, uh, an illness, uh, a loss of income uh, can throw them out into the street. More disturbingly, if you look at, well, that's disturbing enough, but if you look at what we're, um, how people are living and where people are living in Howard County, the zoning regulations are, they today, they restrict where affordable communities can be built. Um, uh, it's worth looking at the maps, the land use maps in the plan that, that uh, Colette mentioned. And you'll notice that um, number one, segregation is increasing in Howard County. And it's really driven by where affordable housing is allowed to be built. There, it's a direct match in terms of where these multifamily structures are allowed to be built. That's where you find higher concentrations of people of color because they're earning less income from the jobs that they're working and their, their rent burdens are, are far too high. And so in terms of where we need to go in the future, we need to do to be able to build affordable housing in more areas of the county um, so that we can um, uh, reintegrate Howard County, number one, and also provide opportunities for families to live 
where they want to live and to have access to other services and amenities that are available in other places uh, in the community. Um, let's talk about old, older adults um, who have their own challenges. Um, there are 45,000 older adults in, in Howard County, 25% of them earn low income. And if they're on social security or social security disability pension as a primary source of income, those, those are under $1,000 a month for many people. They don't cover the rent. They used to, they don't cover it anymore. And accessibility is a huge issue too. 44% um, of those older adults have a disability and you can't find an ADA compliant rental home. I mean, I, I don't know that they actually exist or if they do, it might be on, you know, you can count them on, on a couple of hands. So it's very difficult for people who are older, who are living on less income, who are dealing with uh, a mobility issue or some other disability um, to, to cope. Um, AARP, interestingly, just put a, a study out uh, about the graying of America's homeless. Um, the homeless population in the United States um, is there are more and more older adults in that population. And some studies say that the number of unhoused people 65 years and older could triple um, this decade. So let's queue up uh, the video of Vicki Miles, please. And she can tell us more about living with these challenges. When I moved to Columbia, I was a single mom with four children. Um, I taught school. I managed to buy a house. I taught at Wild Lake High School and later I worked as a home hospital teacher. I served as the president of my homeowners association. And at one time I wound up on the front of the Columbia Flyer because of my efforts in trying to make improvements in our community. I had a um, a health crisis about uh, six years ago, and my house just didn't work for me anymore because there were too many steps inside the house, too many steps outside the house. It just wasn't accessible. Um, luckily, I was uh, able to sell my house, but it didn't give me enough cash to pay uh, outright for another home, a smaller home that was more accessible. So I wound up having to try to find something to rent and that was really difficult in Howard County. I couldn't find uh, many units that were accessible for me and um, the rents were very expensive. Uh, I, I was able to find a condo that was somewhat accessible. And um, luckily I do have some savings I have from the sale of my home that I tap into monthly in order to uh, pay my bills, but I don't believe I'll be able to stay here much longer. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel very lucky to to have raised my children and lived here in Howard County. There are so many wonderful things about it. And my children thank me all the time for having moved here. And we've had a wonderful life here. And I'd like to stay here and see my grandchildren grow up here. And I still feel like I have a lot to offer the community. And I hope that I'll be able to stay here for the future. I ask whether it's equitable for a community to treat people who have contributed to it, who have been a foundation uh, of, of, of for other children's success, for family success over the years. Um, 
who winds up on the cover of the Columbia Flyer for her contributions to her community. Um, this is what she's dealing with now because of economic factors. Uh, we need to recognize that there are many more people like Vicki who are facing these kinds of challenges. Well, we've been talking about renters. Um, what about homeowners and home buyers? Well, the many home buyers are probably happy that the median home price now is $570,000, at least those who are planning to sell soon and find a cheaper place to live. Um, obviously, tax assessments go up as home values go up, uh, but most homeowners probably aren't bothered by those tax assessments. But people who want to locate here, who want to buy here, it, you know, it turns out that most new construction of homes in Howard County, they're, they're big, they're enormous, they're over 3,000 square feet. Um, there are townhomes going for $800,000, $900,000 down in Howard County. And the analysis shows that the income that's needed for most, to purchase most new homes, it's over the median income. It's about $150,000 that's needed in a household to, to purchase uh, one of these newer homes. And there are just, you know, that will be an inconvenience to some wealthy people, but it will only be wealthy people, highly paid people who will be able to uh, afford those homes. So let's queue up uh, Evan Casey, please, um, who will explain his dilemma. I grew up in the Howard County school system and I loved it. I loved the experience of living here. I wanna be able to offer that same thing to my children and to my family, to see that the uh, the price point for a lot of these homes is outside of our reach given what we make. Um, it's disheartening and um, it's frustrating because this is a place where we feel like we could really set down roots and grow for the remainder of our lives and be here pretty much forever until we would retire. I definitely think that it's important for a community to make room for people who have hold a moderate amount of income or even less than a moderate amount of income. The more diverse a community is uh, racially, ethnically, financially, all kinds of demographics, it benefits all involved. So interestingly, the demographers say that we have fewer young adults in Howard County than neighboring communities. And the theory is that it's all about the lack of affordable housing. We're losing talent. We're losing young people who have the energy and the skills and the commitment to this community where they grew up. We're losing them to other, other communities. To me, that's a, a terrible sign for the future. Um, the housing market's not working for many people today. And as Colette um, mentioned, it's a, it's a problem of undersupply and the undersupply was caused by a political decision, part of our planning process, but that's a political decision to not build enough housing despite continued growth of uh, creation of, of new jobs. We deliberately have not been producing enough housing which has created scarcity, and that means competition for housing. Who wins the competition? It's the people who already have the advantages, the people who are already highly paid or have assets and can buy in or pay the high rents. That's who's, who wins, and that was a political decision to favor the people who are already advantaged. I don't think that's just, I don't think that's equitable, 
And I think that that's something that we need to change. And this general planning process, as Colette mentioned, is the opportunity to do that. And it's a it's a once in 20 year opportunity. It's it's going to set this general plan will set housing policy over the next 10 to 20 years. And it's the stakes are important. So I I hope that uh, you will get involved, look for a way to add your voice um, and express your opinion and correct uh the inequities that are all around us um, that are that start with an undersupply of housing. We need more of it, and we need to um, we need to speak up so that we get it. Thanks so much for your time. Sorry about the technical difficulties, and um, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, tech team, for pivoting. We are going to move right into uh, taking a few minutes to honor the joys and sorrows that have been shared among us this morning before we bring our service to a close. Um, but after that, please go visit Norma Byers in the coffee hour space to hear more about how to support bridges to housing stability. Colette is willing to answer questions if you have them between now and 11.30 or other times after today. Um, there's a lot we can do to make a difference for this place being a home for all who want it to be a home. But now I invite you to open your hearts as you open your ears to hear all that has been shared among us in joy and sorrow this morning. And Colette will place one more pebble in this communal bowl of water a symbol of the many things that you're holding that we send out into this community and hold with love and care, even if they have no words. And those of you in the sanctuary, if you'd like to come forward and honor your own joys and sorrows in silence by placing pebbles in the water, you may do that in a few moments during the music meditation. Let's share just a moment of stillness and reflection as we hold everything we have just heard, long lives, celebrations and connection, and also much loss and fear. May there be strength and encouragement among us. And may we all be nourished by love. Amen. Blessed be.
Please rise in body or in spirit. Thank you again to Dana and Colette and all who've contributed today. And we, as we think about the actions we need to take to live our values in the world, I offer you these words from the end of Marge Percy's poem, The Low Road, as inspiration and reminder. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again and they said no. It starts when you say we and you know who you mean and each day you mean one more. Amen. Don't you know that talking about a revolution sounds impossible? Don't you know that talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper? While they're standing in the welfare lines, crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation, wasting time in the unemployment lines, sitting around. Waiting for a promotion Don't you know Talking about a revolution Sounds Who are people gonna rise up And get their share Who are people gonna rise up And take what's there Don't you know you better run, 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 run Talking about a revolution 
Talking about a revolution, oh no. Talking about a revolution, oh no. 